Pursuing your future doesn't end at 40. In fact, it may mark the beginning of knowing who you are, what you're capable of, and what you really want. But knowing what's next and how to get there can be a challenge, especially when old narratives play on repeat. Liberty Road is here to share stories so that you can consider your possibilities, pursue your purpose, and move into your future with intention. I'm your host, Netta Jones, and we're here to listen, learn, and liberate dreams one episode at a time. Well, hello, Liberty listeners. Welcome to another episode of Liberty Road. Today, you get to hear from somebody who's taken her creative pursuits and created a successful life out of them. Heidi Zambran, welcome to the show. It's so good to have you. Thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. So Heidi and I met some years ago at a coffee shop kind of meetup gathering that I used to do called Mentor Mondays. And so we have this fun sort of history uh, and it's nice to see each other after all these years. It's nice to see you, I should say, after all these years and to see how you've actually really grown into all the stuff you said you wanted to do. I'm excited to unpack this and I know our listeners are going to be in for a treat. But first, tell us a little bit about how you came to be a photographer. Like, what was that about? Uh, let's see. Well, the very, very, very beginning, I have to thank my dad. That was, he was a hobby or amateur photographer, very into nature photography. Nothing that is something I, you know, focused on myself, yeah. but I definitely was influenced by him. And he gave me my camera when I was 16, mm. which I didn't touch. I didn't appreciate it until I got to college. And that's when I really, I founded a photo class. I got a great teacher. And I called my dad and mom and just said, um, that's it. I'm going to, this is what I'm going to do. Hope you guys are cool with it. <laughs> and they just said, yeah, great. That sounds great. And that's all, that's what I've done since then. So that's amazing. I was, re- I've been really lucky and I, I definitely am grateful. How does one graduate from college and become a photographer? Like, do you start doing commercial work? Were you doing weddings? Like, what did you start doing? Uh, when I was at UCSB, I had a great teacher, Richard Ross, and I want to thank him every day because he taught me a lot about fine art, taught me a lot about, you know, learning about other photographers, learning about art galleries, all sorts of things, a different side of photography than I had ever been uh, exposed to. And when we were about to graduate, he came to class and said, okay, who here wants to go to New York? And this is Santa Barbara. I hadn't been to New York. I never thought about it. Wow. And I just, at that time, I just felt like everything to do with the art world. I just wanted to say yes to everything because it wasn't from my background. I'd never been to a gallery with my family. I'd never been to a museum really. You know, it's just not something we, we had lots of other things we were interested in, but that was not something that was, you know, throughout my childhood or anything. So I said, yes, yes, yes. You know, I raised my hand and he said, great, here's a couple addresses, write to these galleries, um, apply for an internship, non-paid internship. And I thought, okay, whatever. Great. Yeah. I, <laughs> misunderstood that he had some sort of connection with these guys. I I guess he didn't because in the end I wrote letters. I got the jobs. I went to New York and I worked at a couple of fine art galleries. And in the end, it wasn't until like months and months later that they said, you know, that was really interesting that that photographer Richard Ross sent us a letter, like, you know, asking us if we needed an intern. They didn't have any, there was no in. He just cold called them and then told me to cold call them. And I did. And it worked. And you know, that would be one of my biggest pieces of advice to any young photographer, for sure, or anybody, you know, 
Try I that. I was going to say, anybody. <laughs> like, and, but yeah. it's interesting because it gave you the permission you needed and the, like the, the sort of, what's the word I'm looking for? Well, the, the nerve. Yeah, the yeah, nerve. I wouldn't. I wouldn't have ever thought <laughs> of being a girl from Northern California. Never in my life would I thought of writing to a fine art gallery and just saying, Hey, right. I want to fly, I want to fly to New York next week. And I want to work for you guys for the summer. I love it. And then it continued. Then I got, you know, he also gave me some names of somebody that I could uh, sublease a place. And then I got a side job for, you know, cause it was a non-paid internship. Anyways, I spent quite a few years in New York and I went from the galleries and then I started working at a studio photographer for a studio photographer as a studio manager for years. And that was probably the best move, you know, I could have made. I was going to say learning the back end of the business and really how things, yeah. how to manage both people and how to manage clients and just really understanding the work, not just coming at yeah. it from a, a creative endeavor only. Wow. Yeah. And that's, and that's what happens sometimes, you know, there's always that argument of, do you need to go to art school? Do you need college education to do your craft? Also, everyone has always has these questions. And yeah. for me, you know, I came from a liberal, liberal art school taking photography classes, but you know, and coming from a very fine art perspective, Richard Ross came from that perspective and that's what I was taught. And then to go to New York and work at a fine art gallery and be working with some of the photographers that I was lear learning about in school. And they ended up being some of the, the artists that I was working with. So that was pretty amazing. But then I was offered a full-time job at the gallery and I actually turned it down. It would have been a really great job. Um, and it was a, at a wonderful gallery that I, you know, it was opportunity of a lifetime. And I turned it down to actually go work in a studio because I knew, I kind of just knew in my gut, I needed to know more about the behind the scenes and this, how a studio works and how to do lighting and how to do some of the professional stuff that I didn't know. That wasn't necessarily the path I thought I was going to take, right? but I knew I needed to know it to just move forward. So Heidi, when you're talking about being in a gallery, is this a gallery for photography, photographers? Yes, these were both photography galleries. Okay. And then working in the studio was giving you that that sort of hands-on, like really understanding. So when we think of like a model in a in a room and a photographer shooting them, or when we think of like placing product on a table and lighting it and all of that, that's what you're talking about. Exactly. Okay. And he was a product photographer. So this is very foreign to me. Okay. And so I ended up being a studio manager and also doing a bit of styling for him too, meaning getting props, gathering, you yeah. know, getting all the sets together. But I learned billing. I learned, I learned so much that I can't imagine how I would have learned it otherwise. So again, highly recommend. All that hands-on training. And at the time, are yeah. you thinking of the type of photographer you want to be? Or are you just like trying to amass as much information as possible? I think amass as much information as possible. I, I was leaning towards, you know, the more of a fine art path, meaning less commercial, sure. gearing my work towards a gallery. But I, you know, to be honest, I was dabbling in a lot of things. Yeah. Do many artists or photographers, I'm saying those synonymously, but specifically photographers come into f the fine art side of photography without doing commercial work? It seems like you almost have to do the commercial work first. Is that the case or no? No, you don't have to at all. No, I think if anything, you come from a fine art background and move into commercial, maybe. Okay. But you don't need the commercial before fine art because fine art can be very experimental. There's no, sure. you know, you don't have to light it. You can just walk outside and do natural light. You don't have to light it a specific way for a white backdrop. I guess what I'm asking too, and thanks for making that clarification, but can you support yourself 
as a photographer by going oh, fine question. art first. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's what I'm getting at. Very, like, don't you have yes. to do the commercials to sort of like get into the world and then be seen as a, as a fine art photographer or? Every path is different and yeah. every talent is different. You know, yeah. it really depends on what your background is. You might be someone that already has some financing or you have, you know, it's, it's really sure. hard to say, sure. but I get what, I get your points. It's nice to have some commercial work to support your fine artwork until you are more known and have been exposed to galleries and maybe been approached by a gallery and then you can work towards that direction. And that was your path that you had started out in the commercial world. I started out in the fine art world because I was working at the, the right, galleries right, at the gallery. and then went over to for a couple of years in the commercial world and a commercial studio. And then, then um, that's where my hiatus happened. So that's when there was a, a different opportunity that happened that threw me into the world I'm in now. <laughs> it's kind of a long, it's a, yeah. it's a twisting story. So we love the twisting stories because so much of what we're trying to convey through this podcast is that there's more than one way to get to where we are, wherever we are. And that sure. often, I mean, I the reason we changed the name to Liberty Road is because of this concept of it's a winding path and it, it is a long road. Oh, and that our successes are part of the venture. They're not this final destination. So go for it. it well, yeah, it's a curvy, it's a curvy road, which I'm happy about. I'm, I'm, I've got a lot of lucky lucky situations happen to me, but I'm just going to give you the, sh the rundown. So after undergrad, went to New York, experienced the gallery life, then experienced the studio life, learned a lot more about photography and the basics. And then I took a little hiatus to go to Europe and do a little backpacking trip. And, you know, kind of, I had a chance of working on a book on a little tiny island called Reunion off of, you know, oh <laughs> off of Madagascar. It's a crazy opportunity. I was really young. But once I got to Europe and tried to take the plane over to this island, somehow the flights had gotten crazy expensive. I couldn't do it. So that whole thing fell through. And there I was traveling around Europe. So traveled around for a little bit more just to get experience and definitely photographing. Yeah. Came home and we had, you know, a family, a little bit of a family tragedy. And so all of my family wanted to be back in California near each other. And so we had kind of gathered together to... To be closer. So I, I didn't go back to New York. And instead, I went gambling with my brother. <laughs> and we, we ended up winning some money. And we went up to the mountain to go skiing. And I just walked up to one of those photographers and asked for a job and just taking snapshots on the mountain so I could get a free pass to ski for a while. Wow. And I did that for a winter. <laughs> this is so weird. But it got me to adventure lifestyle photography, which is where I am now, mm -hmm. full circle. But one of the guys I was working with was like, this is kind of a silly job. You know, why don't you just, have you ever heard of a store called REI? And I was like, no, I have no idea what that is at that time. And he's like, it's an outdoor store. Just go buy yourself a tent, get yourself a good sleeping bag, show up about an hour or two away from here. Me and my girlfriend will let you put pitch a tent in our back 40, which I like, didn't even know what that meant. Yeah. And I'm going to get you a job on the river instead of the mountains. And I was like, I don't even know. Okay. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> Whatever you said. Like, okay. Yeah, it yeah. sounds better than this. So yeah, I was basically <laughs> just standing on a mountain. I mean, I got to ski, you know, definitely was a fun, a fun break. So I did that. I went, I remember going home and getting, getting all the gear, showing up at their house. And it ended up, there was a photo studio across the way that did whitewater rafting photography. And that's what he had been doing. And he was a professional kayaker and he was also an EMT and a really amazing photographer. Wow. 
And he kind of bumped me up in the ranks. I was really lucky. I joined them. I lived in a tent for five years. I traveled all over California and we photographed. But the interesting part of what I learned from this job, which I carry to, with me to this day, is we weren't just shooting digital pictures you know, or on your phone or whatever. We were swimming across rapids with a Pelican box, you know, waterproof box with our camera gear, no cell phones, no nothing, a radio phone. And catching these people going rafting and then coming back and processing by hand in the back of an old fire station oh slide film slide film and if you know photography e6 film is it's very particular you can't overexpose you can't underexpose it has to be perfect so i learned standing there in my bathing suit you know how to <laughs> you know process film and then we also printed there and you know yes it was kind of a funny job but there were some amazing photographers working there. I got to travel a lot and I got to learn a lot about processing and lab work. And I think, you know, definitely made me a better photographer for sure. And then I decided I wanted to go back to grad school. So I applied to the San Francisco Art Institute, send them a portfolio of kind of a mishmash of all of this life stuff. And um, I got in and, you know, so then I, then I went into the art world. And so then I went from getting my MFA to working at some galleries in San Francisco to, you know, showing my work and working full time as a fine art photographer. And when did the, the, the surf piece and the motorcycle piece become like highlights? Kind way of hero. later. Way later. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I spent, I spent quite a few years working. I worked with some galleries in San Francisco. I had a gallery in Paris. I, you know, I had international galleries representation and, spent a couple of years, uh, quite a few years showing my work. And, you know, I was awarded at that time, it was called the San Francisco Arts Foundation. And now it's Artadia. I lucked out and won a grant. And that's what just threw me on a really great path. I was really lucky. I also needed to make some more money yeah, and support yeah. myself. And San Francisco is not an inexpensive place to be. So, <laughs> I, you know, I started doing some more commercial work and eventually moved to LA. And really, I, I started riding motorcycles somewhere in that whole path. Then I also started surfing. And by the time I got to LA, I just, the worlds collided probably at a time where motorcycle, motorcycling as a female too, became yeah. much more popular, much more mainstream. And there was work for me. Then I started surfing. And I just, I think that as I've gotten older, what I'm interested in is what I end up photographing. And I think that that works really well. You know, it just keeps keeps your interest. Sure. It's what I'm familiar with. It's what my world is. Sure. I mean, what you're saying is true for most of us, right? Like whatever we're interested in, whatever it is that we want to see or hear or um, have access to in the world is the thing that if we if we work in that space, we usually bring our whole selves into it and a lot of passion and it shows. And then we were able to invite other people into that. So in your case, for your photography, it's like you're bringing a very unique eye to these two. I mean, when we think of like surf photography, we think of like some dude in Hawaii catching a wave and somebody like being able to capture that the, the sort of the tunnel. Yeah. But so much of what you do brings this like gritty sort of almost behind the scenes of the surf world. It's like, there's something really interesting about some of the pieces that I've seen that you do that's so specific to the way you view that culture or that world. Oh, thank you. Well, that's really nice. <laughs> and and part of it is because you know it, you're integrated into it. Yeah, I do think that makes a difference and it is what excites me. I do, I think being on the inside get exposed to some moments you maybe wouldn't have been exposed to if maybe you just showed up for a job and you were there for a few hours. 
But if you're, you know, living, breathing it, that's your life. Yep. You definitely get exposed to different moments, which hopefully that does show up in my work. That's really nice to hear. And the people that you're shooting trust you because you're part of that world. You're not coming in as a foreigner, yeah, so to speak, exactly. into it, which is very cool. So you talk about this hiatus. What were you doing when you were not being a photographer? When you were surfing and motorcycling around, I was still being a photographer. Always. Okay, you were. Even when I'm doing other jobs, I've been a you know motorcycle messenger, but I'm still was working at the gallery. People always ask me like, you know, how long have you been shooting? It's like I don't know when I haven't been shooting. So every every bit of those things I've been doing, always shooting, no matter what. So the hiatus was just like kind of taking you on a slightly different path, but you still always had that camera in tow. Yeah, the hiatus was from the the art world. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I stopped working. I, you know, it just it was kind of just a natural progression. Um, I think I was really lucky to get some major breaks that I was uh, I couldn't I couldn't imagine it happening to me. It was amazing, and I really really lucky, and I'm super grateful. But I think I was just maybe not at the right place at that time. I needed a break. Mm. Um, it was a lot. There's a lot of shows and a lot of travel and a lot of exposure. I feel like every few years I'm just gathering thoughts and gathering ideas and maybe getting yeah. inspired. Because if I'm just shooting nonstop, which I mean, like I said, I'm always shooting. But I mean, if I'm doing just project after project after project, I feel like you need to step back a bit and yeah. gather and absorb, at least for me. I think a lot of us to recalibrate and, and to really bring something fresh into the new space. Like I've learned what I've learned, but it can get, it can get stale. And it, you can also, when it's something you're passionate about, as soon as you feel like it becomes work and you lose a little of the magic, it's like, yeah. I need, I need a break. I need a pause. I definitely felt stuck. You know, I, I had a bit of a um, creative wall. So, yeah. and I didn't, I don't know if I would have known how to put the words to that then, but now I know I just, yeah, needed to go experience some things. I moved to LA and I started shooting more fashion and I was mm -hmm. really excited about that. And I think mm -hmm. the fashion also blended into the motorcycle world too, because when I first started, I did use a lot of motorcycle shops or, you know, some gritty, gritty background right. stuff that I, that would work with the brands. And so, and that I had access to that because that was my world. So um, that gave me a lot of exposure to a lot of great people here in LA and in that scene. And so it's kind of a fast track. I think through the photography, I think I met more people, uh, because I would show up at different, different events and motorcycle things. And I would just be shooting for myself for my personal projects and getting to know everybody. And it was really, a, really a fun time. And I'm really lucky. It was a really great way to meet everybody. You know, I'm always thinking about what is the listener hearing and how is the listener taking what you're sharing with them and applying it to their own lives, whether they're photographers or not. You know, how do you, let's say you're a writer and you want to write your own personal thing, but you're also doing some copywriting on the side or you're, you're you know, ghostwriting for somebody, that there are careers that span many, many years that kind of toggle back and forth. They go from... Um, sort of working on behalf of others in whatever capacity that is, and then working for oneself. And so basically what you've said is I've had that career. You know, I've always worked for myself. I've always had my own fine art to put out there, but I've also found myself in these commercial spaces or places in life where I've, I've done that work too. 
when I was younger, I definitely felt the need to differentiate between those two terms. And sure. I think uh, part of the reason I'm having a little bit, I'm a little stumped at my answer. Of, I, usually I feel like I would have had a very quick answer to what yeah. your question was, but I'm just realizing from your question, I'm not as concerned about those, about that hard line. And mm. I think that might just be the sign of the times too, because people are always asking me, aren't you bothered by everybody's a photographer? And I'm like, it doesn't matter. I mean, it's great because there's so many more people paying attention to photography because they are all shooting and they're all learning so much more about it. And, you know, yes, five people might step in front of you when you're time to take a picture, but you know, it's, um, it's a process that's blurring the lines. I don't Mm -hmm. feel like, Oh yeah, you, you're shooting real film. You're not shooting digital. So I'm going to call you a fine artist. And I would never do that. I, I don't, I think those lines are blurred and I think we can kind of loosen up on the, on the, all those definitions. It's awesome to be able to, especially with your history, both education and the history you bring to it, that you are able to have both grace, but also acceptance that these are all artful mediums, you yeah. know, and that we can blur those lines. So I'm curious because you're somebody who's entire career has been around photography. And often we bring people into this uh, podcast that have pivoted at some point, you know, they've made some change as they've entered midlife. But your story is, is somewhat unique in that you remain a photographer as you move into midlife. So what has changed for you? What shifted? Is it the art itself? Is it the consumer that you want to satisfy? What is it that's changed for you as you've entered this new stage of life? I think actually a lot of it is I've slowed down a bit. Mm-hmm. I'm a little more clear on the jobs I do want to take. I'm trying to slow down a little bit just based on our experience with COVID. I had realized by slowing down a bit that I really missed a project. Like I wanted to work on a personal project. Mm-hmm. I wanted to move slowly. Like I wanted to work on a project from beginning to end, maybe um, something that would end in a book form or something that I spend years on. And I stopped trying to do the fast track, you know, the social media, the one hour, you know, one minute glimpse into something. I just felt like I needed to take a breath and work on something that I really mm. cared a lot about and to tell a story and try to complete it, you know, from beginning to end. Yeah. Um, and so that got me focused on a project that I'm working on right now and really excited about Right. And those would be the fine art projects. Those fit into the fine art categories. Yeah. But I mean, you could pick one of them and you could sell some boots. Sure. You know, I mean, sure. it's very weird. My work is yeah. so, it's so hard because basically what I, what I'm doing is I'm, um, I decided to follow a daredevil, a woman I know that is joining the circus basically. Oh, wow. I found out about her, what she was about to do, uh, right before COVID. And I begged her and begged her and begged her to let me follow her and to let me know when she's doing it. I want to follow her. And she, uh, agreed. And I, you know, traveled in my van about 5,000 miles to go meet them. And, and I drove around with them for about 800 miles in 30 days. Oh my God. You know, yeah. So that's my project right now. So telling her story. I'm really excited because I feel like that's what opened up in my mind. Yeah. By slowing down during COVID and giving me a chance to reacquaint myself with some projects and themes that I love and go find them and not feel so distracted. I like what you were saying about the social media piece, because I do think that we all feel like we have to be selling. We have to be selling ourselves. We've got to be showing up. We've got to be 
talking to that community, that social community all the time. And I think there's a ton of value to that. I don't, I don't poo poo it. There are some really, some really amazing connections that come from it. But I will say, I find what you're saying to be absolutely true in that the singular sort of focus and not being distracted. And I find that when we kind of clear the deck and just focus on that one thing, that there's so much more, uh, it sort of activates more fruit. It generates more uh, curiosity in us, more um, sort of imagination, like we're more creative. And I think that we all need to take that pause and unplug in in some way, whatever that is. If it's not social media for you, it may be just the noise of your everyday life. Yeah, the pressure of life and the pressure of for as a creative, you know, what's my next thing? You know, job, job, shoot, shoot, you know. Like we were talking about before, I needed to absorb again. Yeah. Instead of stacking, stacking, stacking up all these quick experiences, going and have a long one and um, see what happens without, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. And I don't know what the end of the story is going to be. And it's super exciting. So that really felt good. It sounds like it. So it sounds like essentially as you've moved into this new space, this new stage in life, it's really being specific about the jobs that you're taking and doing things that are more aligned with kind of your core values and with the stories you want to be putting out into the world. Yeah. I'm kind of recognizing the side of me that really enjoys the storytelling. Yeah. And that is important to me. And that can, that can be for a brand that can, you know, it's easy for an editorial or something like that too. Um, It can apply to both worlds, but I just say, when I look around, I've just been exposed to some really amazing people doing some crazy things. And I am really excited to just try to reach out and tell more stories. And I started writing a bit more. So there's a piece coming out about this daredevil this next month. And so I wrote the story too. And that's probably, you know, I've only done that a handful of times and I'm getting excited about that too. So hopefully this will go to a book form and I'll be able to combine all this together. Wow. That sounds exciting. It's hard to not sort of look at how you live that lifestyle and then afford it. Like, is some of this afforded by the prints that you sell that, uh, you know, how, how do you keep that work going when you're dropping everything to follow a daredevil around? And yeah, well, you live in your van, <laughs> which is what I did. Yeah. And you live in your van and you eat with the daredevils and the, you know, the yeah. carnies and, uh, you know, you live very frugally. It's a combination of things. Prints for sale, for sure, yeah. um, which I'm very, very lucky that, that I do have that option. And I do have an agent now. So as of the last couple of years, he is working on my commercial jobs. So he's he helps me gather jobs. And so I am doing other jobs at the same time right. that I'm going to do these projects. I'm usually combining it with other things that I can, like maybe there'll be a brand that I could shoot at the same time I'm out for a certain boot company or, right. you know, I like, while I was with the circus, I met up with these e-bike, uh, this e-bike company. And so then when I got home, they sent me one so I could photograph that for them. And, you know, there's just, it all kind of uh, comes together piecemeal. Yeah. It's important for us to hear because I don't want somebody hearing this and thinking she's, you know, got millions of dollars in the bank and so she can afford this. And uh, conversely, I don't want people trying to go out and do this on their own without knowing that's hard work. And sometimes you have to toggle back and forth and you have to, you know, pause and in your case, do commercial work or whatever the case might be so that you can do the thing that's meaningful for you that you're passionate about. You don't empower women if you don't tell them the truth. I'm always saying that. And so that's part of why I want to hear 
um, kind of how you're actually making it happen. That's awesome. You're making me think about some points I hadn't thought about before, but this is one of them is that I've been doing that balancing act since I was 20. You know, yeah. I, it's always feast or famine. Yeah, and that's partially because I'm saving my money in order to do these projects. And then I spend it all. And then I go re, you know, it's like refueling. But right. I think because I've been doing it so long, I'm very comfortable with it. And I'm comfortable with this lifestyle. It's, it, it's very exciting for me. Yeah, I want to be able to have these experiences so that I can shoot these experiences. So I have to find some way to work to get it sure. so that I can go do these things. You have to be a bit creative on how you're funding for sure. What would you say to a woman who, perhaps a photographer, perhaps just a creative soul, who sort of feels like she's reached an age where it's too late? It's too late for her to reinvent herself. It's too late for her to consider um, another path or to expand the current path that she's on. What would you say to her to encourage her to sort of reimagine this next chapter of life? Well, I mean, without feeling like I'm sounding super corny, but I, I just don't believe just from the way I've lived my life, I don't believe there's, it's ever too late. I, I don't really think a lot about age. I never have. It's kind of how my family is too. I mean, we just, it's not something that we spend a lot of time thinking about, you know, parents have kind of made you have a feeling of end, endless possibilities. I feel like everyone should be you know, even more inspired by all these changes that have happened in the last two years yeah. as horrific and all the tragedy and all the depression and all the hardship that we've all had. There's some really interesting things like, we, you know, I hate that word pivot, but I mean, this is a chance. It's not too late. I think that there's endless possibilities, yeah. you know, and I would just say, um, you know, again, passion takes, carries you far. And if you are passionate about something and you are, you know, ready to still work hard, um, I just, I feel like, you know, go for it. I remember some years ago, this was way before COVID, but you did like a wellness and surf retreat. And I yeah. think it was, I think it was in Mexico, right? But it was that it was. idea of like, I'm going, I'm going to do this awesome thing. I want to bring people with me. I want people to experience all this amazingness that I've been able to experience or am going to experience. And you turned it into a retreat where people paid to participate. And it was this very sort of meaningful gathering that came, I'm sure, from your desire to get to that location, to shoot what was there, and to share this really unique um, opportunity with others. So you definitely have a very resourceful way of viewing things. And I think there's a lot for us to learn from that. If I was going to offer any bit of advice, it's, you know, try to find that thing, you can connect to that other thing that can sure. help you get the other, you know, it's, there's a, sure. there's a way to link it all together. It takes a bit of courage, but it's not hard to do. You can do it. No. And, and it's exactly through listening to stories like this, like your story that we're hoping that, you know, you talked about possibilities are endless, but we say, consider your possibilities and get triggered by the stories that you're hearing on this podcast and other storytelling platforms. See what you're curious about. See what ignites that uh, spark, you know, or sparks that in you. And I think you've just done that for so many people. So many people who will be listening will will hear what you're talking about and will really, in a practical way, understand how to cobble that together. And so I thank you for sort of telling the truth, as I said earlier, because I think it's really important that we do that. Now, before I let you go, we have our fast five that I'm going to ask you. What's a favorite hack or practice or a book that you think that 
our listeners, mainly women over 40, would benefit from? Well, I'm looking at my reflection and I'm realizing I have these glasses on. <laughs> I think yeah. I have to say, <laughs> so I have to I. say, Katniss. I have to say, Katniss. You know, it's like yes. the day. You, it's like on your 40th birthday, you go to read your birthday menu at the restaurant. All of a sudden, yeah. you can't read. So, yeah. <laughs> I would say that's my hack. That's awesome. One of my main hacks, I swear, it will be forever, is sleep. Mm. I know it's a funny thing to say, but that has changed a lot of things. Yeah. So sleep, lots of sleep. There are books written on the, the subject now. So we clearly are a nation that undersleeps. So I, I, yes, I appreciate sure. that. On a lighter note, what's your favorite ice cream flavor? Oh, that's easy. Uh, Cherry Garcia. That's a good one. So obviously brand sensitive. There is only yeah. one real Cherry Garcia. Yeah. So everybody uh, knows what that is. Yeah. Yes. What is something that you've really appreciated about this particular stage in life as it relates to your work? Just the experience that I have and mm-hmm. getting a chance to be calmer. I mean, I have less, I still have stress, obviously, or I get more nervous before a shoot, but I definitely sure. you know, come from a calmer place, I think, just because I have had some experiences under my belt. So it's a calmness. Yeah, that makes sense. That, that experience sort of gives you the, the knowing, like I've been here before. If something goes wrong, I know how to fix it. If somebody's hard to work with, I know how to deal with that. Yeah, I feel more prepared for a lot of situations, obviously not for all, but yeah, you know, which does give you a bit of peace of mind. And what would you say to a younger Heidi about midlife? Like, what would you want to go back and tell her? Like, I don't even want to put words in your mouth, but what would you say to her? feel like I'm saying some cornball phrases, but just no, that I it's, love it. it's, it's like, you know, best is coming. You know, yeah. I feel like, you know, from 36 on, you know, I know we're going from 40 on, but I feel like a big yeah. transformation happened around 36 as women too. I just feel like we come to our own around mm-hmm. 40. And I feel like a lot of my experiences and I still have health and I still yeah. feel very young. It's like, that all meshes together into a beautiful place where I felt a bit stronger, you know, I yeah. feel like there's, there's a lot of strength with that experience. And I don't think of 40 as the big scary age that we all used to think it is. No. And I definitely think that that's part of the way the world's changing. But I would say just, you know, s- slow down, don't pressure yourself so much and go with the flow more, you know, and, uh, be easier on yourself. Yeah. It's almost like you don't have to try and condense everything in this, into this short period of time. We get to evolve. And the more we, the more we know, the more we know. My last question, Heidi, how has being a photographer liberated you? Oh, are you kidding? <laughs> well, that's an easy one. I should bring up something that did happen that really yeah. did change. Um, I was photographed by a male friend of mine who was doing a project called The Unstuck Woman. Mm-hmm. He first was doing a project called The Unstuck Man, and he would photograph men that over through his travels that he felt were very unstuck, and he wanted to learn from them. And then he came home and realized that there was more women around him that were unstuck. And he was really inspired by that. He said, oh, I'm on the wrong track. I'm going to go photograph, talk to, and interview unstuck women. And he, in, when he interviewed me just by asking me, because he thought I was unstuck, I had this real kind of aha moment, you know, and I thought, wow, through photography, I have been very unstuck because I've been allowed to travel, allowed to, Mm. you know, look at groups of people outside of my norm and explore their lives and learn from them. And I feel like that has, you know, liberated me from a lot of maybe some of the constraints that I might have had. And that has been very liberating. I love that. Is that book around the unstuck book? 
It's he didn't do a book. It's online. Oh. It's oh. all Instagram. And he interviews you for a week. All your quotes are every day. And he comes and photographs you for a few hours. And it's wow. a really amazing project. I would highly recommend people looking and at it. So uh, if, is it just, is the handle unstuck? I think it's the, the unstuck woman or just unstuck woman. Okay, we'll find yeah. it and make sure it's yeah. in the show notes. That's yeah, amazing. Yeah, Michael Beck. And he's a great photographer too. And I feel like that was a, if you're going to say aha moment, that was it. Yeah. It's, it's nice to be able to realize like and appreciate what you have been given and how you've been able to utilize your work to impact yourself and to impact so many people. So thank you for sharing that with no, us. Thank and you. Thanks for sharing kind of your story, Heidi, and, and the things that you're working on. And there's something so adventurous about you. I feel like just from spending time with you, I'm like, I'm ready for my own adventure. So thanks for <laughs> thanks great. for giving us that. All right. That's that's a good thing. If I'm here for one thing, I would like it to be that. It's perfect. You you did your job well. And Liberty listeners, thank you guys. We will get back to you guys next week with another amazing story. Thanks for being with us, Heidi. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Of course. Liberty Road is broadcast on all platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and more. If you like what you've heard, please follow, rate, and review Liberty Road on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It helps us to know if these episodes are inspiring and equipping your ventures. Liberty Road is produced by Netta Jones and Elizabeth Joy Windham, and music by Jordan Flower.